You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. We're now in the midst of finals. My name is Matt Walsh, and I'm joined, as always, Neil Seawang up in Ballarat. How are you going this fine morning or afternoon? Yeah, just ticked over into afternoon. Yeah, going really well. Um, can't believe how great the, the first week of finals was. Um, the fact that, you know, each game was was close and exciting and, and hard fought. Um, I think that's what we've we've been waiting for all year for, I was going to say for September, for, but for October to roll around and, and it didn't disappoint. Maybe we should have uh, finals in October every year, Jake Michaels, if uh, this is the sort of stuff we can expect. Well, I'm certainly not hearing all the oldies complaining about the standard of the game at the moment. So uh, we're doing something right. It's all good. And hey, apologies for last week, my technical difficulties. I know you couldn't hear me talking super loud, which is probably a good thing, but managed to get that fixed and we're, uh, we're good to go. Zoom's picked up for us. We are good to go. The officers of Champion Data must be busy at this time of year, Christian Jolly. Uh, your weekend of footy, geez, you must have been impressed by what you saw. Yeah, it was uh, exactly what Neil said. It was just an awesome weekend of footy, four games. Sort of, um, I, I sort of flagged last week. I thought it'd be low scoring, but I thought the games would be close with shorter quarters and, you know, two quality teams across each of the games playing against each other. I didn't, I didn't think we'd see any blowouts, but I was happy to see a few more goals kicked than I expected. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed the footy. That's it. Well, I mean, as we said, for all the discussion we had about the state of the game throughout the season, and on this podcast, we had a, a few discussions about what needed fixing in terms of footy for 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, the lack of scoring, the low quality play, the rolling mall. I think it is fair to say that footy didn't lose any fans on the weekend, given the action that we did see. Four amazing contests. Uh, they created an endless number of storylines too. And we'd love to get through them all, but we're just not going to have time. We'd have to split this into three or four podcasts perhaps. But heading into the semifinals this week and the prelims next week, um, like I said, we've got heaps to talk about. But before we do, maybe guys, I might start with you, Jake. What's something for you might have noticed from the weekend's action that might get lost in today's episode? Oh, I don't even know where to start. As you say, there was, there was heaps. But um, I think the one thing that I really noticed... Um, was in the dying seconds of the, the Doggies-Saints game after the Bulldogs had closed that margin right back to, to three points. And there was about 50 seconds on the clock and the ball went inside the Dogs' 50. And uh, Josh Bruce, who had a shocking game, uh, gave away a, a free kick for a high tackle. And, but, the, but it wasn't that. It was what I noticed instantly was the reaction from Mitch Wallace, who was standing right there. And he, he just he threw his arms up and he... he you could tell he was just annoyed at Bruce because it was such a dumb play from Josh Bruce. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to say it cost him the game. Maybe not. But, gee, it, it certainly didn't allow them to have a chance at winning the game at the death. And I reckon that bit of frustration from Mitch Wallace sort of was a build-up of the whole season because, let's be honest, aside from that one game against North, he's had a shocking year. Well, yeah, I mean, you maybe have a stoppage there where you can squeeze the ball out inside the dog's 50 and they have a chance to have another shot at goal and potentially win the game. But as you said, a turnover there and, and all hope is lost. Then again, they probably shouldn't have gotten into a position where they were that many goals down uh, you know, in, in early in the last quarter. So, Neil, something uh, you've noticed from the weekend we might not get a chance to talk about in depth? Yeah, I mean, across the, the, um, the four games, I just noticed the importance of goal-kicking accuracy. We talk about it... Ad nauseum here on this podcast, you know, Christian talks about the most undervalued <laughs> stat in the game is kicking straight for goal because three of the teams that lost actually had more scoring shots than the teams that they got done by. So, you know, a few extra hours on the, you know, minutes even um, on the, on the training track kicking for goal you know, can make the difference between bowing out early or possibly winning a flag. It's, it's incredible how often the team that kicks straight just, just wins because they can actually put it through the big sticks. I'm one of Tom Hawkins' biggest fans because he's, he's such an accurate kick normally. Uh, and he's such a great, like, just, he's a great player. He's, he gives off goal assists. He does a lot for Geelong in that forward line. 0-5 on the weekend. I cannot remember the last time he was just so inaccurate. I'd have to go back through the records and have a look. But that completely shocked me. And if he kicks 3-2 or 4-1, it's a different game. Amazing how different that, that game could have actually turned, turned out had he actually have kicked straight. And it looked like he, he, got, he got the yips a little bit. Like he had a couple that were like 20 metres out on about mm. a 45 degree angle that he could have, you know, maybe had put a set shot through and he just really quickly rushed through it and kicked on his left, um, which showed that his, his mind was shot a little bit towards the end. 
And a little bit on that, looking at um, Brisbane still from the other game, 7-2 at half-time, sort of seeing out the long break, thinking well, we spoke about it on the podcast. Just It just <laughs> happened for them and it, it just clicked. It's um, it, Yeah, we talk about it, you can work on it as much as you can, but sometimes you just can't help it. Um, and uh, you just got to keep going. Event, it will yeah. turn eventually. You're never going to be always, just like you're never going to always be accurate. You're going to have periods, there were periods where Jack Gunston couldn't miss and then he had a period where he couldn't, where he couldn't score. Like, it will turn both ways. It sounds like that's your approach at the poker table, Jake. <laughs> oh, it's my uh, my life approach. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, the, up, uh, the ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, something we might not be able to get to talk to in too much detail. Um, just again, some in finals, just the one-on-one matchups that you see, and probably one of the good examples of it from the weekend: Maynard against uh, Liam Ryan. It's probably the second time this year they're sort of gone head-to-head in a good battle, and. Um, yeah, just even a small note after this, sort of a photo of them, I think posted on by AFL, maybe their account, but of just them sort of embracing after the siren and saying, you know, well done. But it's just a fierce battle between the two. Um, we saw the tagging job of Levi, Levi Greenwood mm. on uh, Tim Kelly. But yeah, just, just some of the one-on-one battles that we sort of saw uh, across the week. And even, you know, talking about Tom Hawkins, Trent McKenzie, which was another interesting one. Um, yeah, enjoyed some of the one-on-ones that we saw this weekend. That was an interesting one. And, and Trent McKenzie, I mean, on the score sheet, it looks like he kept uh, Hawkins goalless, as we said. But, geez, I tell you what, as you, as you said, Jake, it could have been very, very different. Um, so, who knows? Uh, something I noticed, and I tend to go a little bit more off the field or a bit more lighthearted than you guys on this, but <laughs> while Roland Garros is on, the defending champion Ash Barty, our own Ash Barty, big Richmond fan, was up in Brisbane watching the Lions in their qualifying final and the Tigers in their qualifying final, having a beer while at the same time, literally at the same time, her rivals were duking it out for a spot in the fourth round at Roland Garros. And I just thought that is the most Australian thing I've seen, given she couldn't be over there due to some COVID restrictions. And I thought it was great to see. It was. A great vision of her. She was, she, was, she was pretty into it, wasn't she? Loves her footy, loves her Tigers. And um, yeah, it's kind of weird because she did grow up in Queensland. So you'd think that she might have been a Lions fan, but is very, very staunchly Tigers and, and always tends to watch them when she's over in Europe uh, if, the, if, the time, uh, if the time zones permit. So... Good on her for being able to see a live game in the finals up there. And she might get to see a few more the way that uh, the Lions are, uh, the, oh, the, tri- the Tigers are tracking. She'll at least get to see this week. Um, as I said, plenty to get through on today's episode. Uh, we thought we'd start with another cliche. I know that we talked about pressure and tackling and how it goes up in finals every year. Uh, and we got Christian to sort of confirm or debunk the theory. But there's always that talk of Mr. September, those players that tend to go up another notch in finals. Um, so we thought we'd, give Christian the task of taking a look at the stats from recent years to determine which players do thrive under the blowtorch of finals and those that tend to wilt under the heat. So Christian, who are the Mr. Septembers or in, in this case, Mr. Octobers in the league right now? And who would rather be on holiday in Bali or in far North Queensland? Yeah. So with this query, there's always um, what you call probably a lot of noise with the numbers. Um, so again, because, you know, finals, small sample size, um, so what I've done first off when we talked about you know recent years, I've just gone 2014 to 2019, uh, looked at everyone's average from home and away compared to finals. Um, and again, so and what are you basing from, it on? Sorry, are you looking at rankings? Are, yeah, ranking points. So uh, the one that's you know been around the longest. So one of the names when you sort by you know um, the biggest drop offs in finals. So you know going the opposite end of the spectrum, um, sort of just. Proves the theory of how sort of clouded the numbers are, but Gary Ablett. So he's had a 34 or 34 and a half point drop off in his home and away average compared to, sorry, his finals average compared to his home and away average from. So he's missed a June and July. To 19. <laughs> Correct. But the, the problem with that is it, it, this includes, as I said, from 14 to 19, it includes the three or four years that he spent at Gold Coast in that time where he was the number one player in the competition, averaging 140, 150 ranking points across the season, which was unheard of. Um, and the finals that he's played, he's played four finals in this time. Um, so I haven't looked at this year. This year's not included in these numbers. This was leading into this week. Um, so again, his four finals been played at, you know, what the ages of 33, 34 and 35 or, or so. So again, um, yeah, you sort of wouldn't read too much and say, well, he just drops off in finals. It's just that, you know, the finals that we've looked at, I'm sure if I went back and looked at from 2008, from the start of his career, he's probably, you know, stepped up or even down in finals if you take into account his drop-off recently. But um, again, so it's always been one of those queries that's thrown up every year. Um, but again, some interesting names that sort of did come up um, that had played, you know, enough finals. And again, when looking at, um, what did I say, shows about five or six seasons, 
most of the guys I've chosen about two or three finals, I mean, is probably on average, you know, uh, most of the good teams have had guys that played that many. So uh, looking at someone that's played at least four finals, no longer in the league, but Clay Smith, and you may remember from um, Bulldogs 2016 premiership run. So he was a 59 um, points per game average in his home and away uh, season in that time and 101 across four finals. Wow. Um, so again, it wasn't across multiple seasons or anything, but he played, you know, um, three pretty good finals one year and another good final the next year. So he was enormous in that, uh, that, that iconic win over the Giants. Yeah, the pre Yeah, yeah. Being into the grand final. And I think he was, um, I should have double-checked. I'm pretty sure he's still top five or six ranked in the grand final from memory. So all the, all the final before that. But he did have two very you know, highly ranked finals that year. Um, and then the, other, the next name that comes up, though, 11 finals in this time that makes me smile at these numbers is Luke Hodge. Um, so no <laughs> surprise there. So um, 87 in his home and away career in, from 2014 to 19, up to 119 in his 11 finals in that time. So again, doesn't include um, 2008, 2012, 2013, where he played some ripping finals as well. So again, if I had extended it to the numbers and gone further back, um, yeah, you know, he might have been even further up. Uh, another one was interesting to me, so and a bit topical was Brody Grundy's probably the next best. So he's had six finals in this time and stepped up from 104 per game. So again, the only one of the you know the other two names that only averaged 87, and as I said, Clay Smith was 59 during home and away season, so around the average mark. So Grundy is already an elite player, home and away season 104 per game, stepped up to 134 per game across his six finals leading into this season. So. Um, again, if we had to cover this on the pod last week, we would have been looking and hoping for a big game from Brody Grundy. But um, might, have, might have to readjust after the weekend. Yeah, Saturday yeah. night he sort of um, you know was on the bench by the end of it, so didn't have his biggest final uh, that night. So a couple of other names again: Tom Boyd, another Bulldogs player who played four finals in this time, fifty-six uh, during his home and away, up to eighty-two during finals. Um, Tom Lynch, another one that sort of because of the noise of the numbers. Didn't have a great home and away set. We know Richmond brought him along slowly. He played three finals last year, so he qualifies to be spoken about, as I, uh, as I said. But again, his home and away uh, career with Gold Coast included and Richmond's been 84 um, in that time, up to 170 in finals. Uh, a couple other names that, you know, Will Langford no longer around, had a couple of finals for Hawthorne and Jeremy Howe, who's unfortunately injured uh, for Collingwood. Um, and then the next name, probably no surprise here. Any guesses? I'll let Neil Dusty. have a guess of um, his elite, his um, future elite player. Oh, Stepped up again. I was assuming you were going to say oh, Dusty. Big but Mason, Mason, Cox. Mason Cox. Big Mason Cox, correct. So 58, oh, in, uh, 58 in his home and away <laughs> average and 78 in his four finals. Um, but again, again, sorry, that didn't include uh, again this, um, this weekend. So again, that probably goes up a little bit higher. Wow. So. So yeah, that is, mm-hmm. that is Matt and I were talking about uh, Big Coxie because he, he is a big game player. He's, he's had some huge uh, Anzac Day, Queen's birthday games. He's played well there. So he, he does like the big stage. He does like the big crowds too. He has a bit of swagger about him. likes to sort of gesture to the crowd a bit, just put the old finger point out there. And we saw that uh, on full display on Saturday night, didn't we? Yes, we sure did. He, he is it's interesting how... Um, polarizing is with fans like some people love the individuality and the you know the bravado and other people really don't like it especially in Australian society where we're quite reserved and it's all about the team so yeah people people love him or hate him for sure uh, any other names that we should be looking at maybe going the other way uh, those that, that don't seem to step up in September just any, before any we go in, just before we go into the to the guys that, that struggle in finals, I'm really surprised we haven't heard Dufty's name. Yeah, I, I, you, I would have thought he'd be top two or three for sure. If you think about the guys that have dominated finals in the last handful of years, you, he'd, he'd be number one. Yeah, so again, he's um, increased by three per game, so 106 up to 109. So, hmm. um, yeah. It's more yeah, day step. Moment, <laughs> so, to be yeah, fair, he's been pretty good in the, in the home yeah, of the season as well. 109 <laughs> in finals is, uh, yeah, top. 12 ranked um, in finals in that time. So he's been a good finals player, but he's, he's also been a Brownlow medalist <laughs> in the home and away season in that time as well. So, yeah, yeah. his name doesn't come up. And, yeah, just at the other end, again, you wouldn't read too much into it. Again, um, I think some of these numbers, yeah, would have included um, substitutions for some of these guys. But uh, yeah, um, one of the guys, again, sort of said I looked at the other end of the, the ladder and smiled when I saw Luke Hodges' name. One guy that I don't want to see down here and probably Neil the same. Yeah, not picking on you, Neil, but 
Uh, Nathan Jones, so 92 in his home and away uh, average, down to 53 in his three finals in that time. But I'm not sure, did he? He wouldn't have been around for uh, sub rule or anything in the finals or been no, in, in his one of them. All his three finals would have been in 2018. Um, yeah. And where he wasn't being played in the middle at all. So, so yeah, just a different role. So, mm. um, But, yeah, Brandon Ellis is probably the next one. As I said, Gary Ablett will cover. Brandon Ellis, 90-point um, drop-off. Uh, sorry, 90 points during home and away season, down to 54. Um, so, probably the next biggest drop-off that we've sort of seen. But, yeah, it might be sort of a sort of slight change in role in some of Richmond's finals for Ellis compared to the home and away rounds. Interesting. Certainly. Well... Yeah, Go on, it's, I was just going to say it's it's interesting to look at, and, and it's interesting that Christian says that that, Chris, uh, that champion data get asked this pretty much every final series. Um, but it, it is too simplistic just to, to look at those numbers and say, oh, player X, you know, has been hopeless under the finals pressure when they might have a change of role or a change of team. Um, so, but it, it's a it's a fun little one to look at. But maybe we can't read too much. You know, if, if Ablett is the biggest drop off. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that the numbers suggest and, and everyone would love him, especially Ablett in his prime. Um, everyone would love an Ablett in their, in their team come finals time. All yeah. the time. I think I've said this on the pod before. That was always our uh, measuring stick probably six, seven years ago if we created new metrics or we're looking at new formulas. If Ablett came up high, we knew we were on the right, on the right track. And if he came down low, something was wrong with the numbers. So, uh, yeah, he's always been a good yardstick to go by. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's move on from players who would rather have been on holiday to teams that are now on holidays. The Eagles and the Dogs both lost uh, on the weekend, their elimination finals, and both had pretty big wraps on them coming into 2020, uh, but failed at the first finals hurdle. Neil, you've, uh, you've been keeping up to date our past marks piece on espn.com.au forward slash AFL, where we had our preseason uh, pass marks for each team, and, and then we sort of assessed them as their seasons come to an end. Uh, how did the Eagles and the Dogs fare? Yeah, fair to say they they failed their preseason pass marks, both mm-hmm. of them. I don't think there's any getting away from that. Um, I think we had the pass mark for the Eagles. It would be to play in a grand final. Yep. And the Doggies would be to to play yeah. in a prelim. Yeah, make a prelim was a, now, a now maybe I, a bit of a stretch. I, but, I think that was a yeah, bit of a tough a tough uh, ask for the Dogs. I mean, I I think where they finish now. You know, they were, as I said before, they were they were one kick away from making a semi final, and you'd say that's a pretty good year. I think making a prelims pretty tough for them. I mean, even if you you say making a prelims, at, you know, probably too high a mark. Even if you drop that down one, it would be to make the semis. So yeah. they haven't won a final since their premiership. Mm. So there's there's some concerns there. I'm not saying it's a completely horrific year. I mean, you know, ten teams would love to be in their position to be to playing a final. So. Um, but I think internally they'd be disappointed at, at being on holiday already. I think they've got some big holes to fix. Um, mm. It's such a talented list, but as you say, there are a couple of really glaring... I mean, Jake, you, you sort of said Josh Bruce on a, on a pretty big contract for another two or three years, I think, as well. Um, but the, thankfully, where the holes are on, on the Dogs team, they're pretty easily fixed. Ruckman, you're pretty easy to go after um, at the trade table or in free agency. And a key forward, there's a few of them on the market this year. So they may be able to fix these pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the dogs would be crazy not to not to have a look at players like Joe Danaher and, and Ben Brown, like at least have a look at the possibility of bringing them in. Bruce just didn't work. You know, we've, we've seen his best at St Kilda and he can be a good player. He can kick he can kick 40 goals in a season and he can him and Norton could be a great combination. But he just didn't look anything he, he looked slow, disinterested and just like he he just wasn't at the same level or on the same page as his teammates. He did the dogs play with that fast, frenetic pace, and he just always seemed to be a step behind. I, I felt throughout the year, it just didn't work. Um, and you know, we talk about premiership windows. We talk about the cats earlier about how time's ticking with the cats. Well, not exactly ticking with the with the dogs, but you know, they are starting to get into the age now where they are at their prime. All these all these um, midfielders at the club. So I think they really should be looking at one, bringing in one of these key forwards. And I think in, you're going, Christian. You know, we talk about it. They got knocked out this week in the final, but it was they were one and six in the home and away season against the rest of the top eight as well. So they played, you know, these are the seven games. And next worst record was St Kilda, who they were up against with three and four. So if you add in this weekend, you know, St Kilda moved to four and four, and Bulldogs were one and seven against top eight sides this year. That one win was against West Coast. It was they, they played well that night, but it was a very different game. It was forty to thirty odd. It was a line ball. And, and I think West Coast had a lot of players out that day. 
yeah, um, goal line decision right late in the game. So, again, it's more than just one game and a few. I agree with you in terms of very solid list, a lot of talent there. They know how they want to play and they have the talent. You know, we've seen with Richmond, um, as long as you've got the, the right personnel, you can play, you know, different game style to everyone else. So you can stick to your own game style and they do that quite well. Uh, but as I said, yeah, looking at their overall record against the other teams around them this year, it wasn't great. So they're still, um, you know, probably looking for that 10, 15% to, to match it with the best. I almost don't mind that though, because I don't mind a team that loses to the teams above them. It's, you got to consistently beat those teams that you should be beating. And they're doing that already, which is a big, which, which sounds obvious, but it's frustrating when a team is able to beat the top teams and then they're losing the games they should win. So the dogs are doing, they've got half of it right. I think they're a forward away from having a few more avenues to go. Mitch Wallace was great as a playing as a mid-sized forward this year, but you know, you can't rely on him to, to be leading the, leading the charge when Norton's in and out and a little bit inconsistent. And, and look, does Norton play back? Do you bring I was just in about a, to mention that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, do you bring in a Ben Brown and play Norton back? And play Why can't you play them, play them both? Well, then what are you doing with Bruce? Yeah. Well, For me, um, Aaron Norton was one of the best intercept defenders I've seen as a junior um, yep. in the last 10, 15 years. Again, haven't, you know, I've watched a lot of recruiting up until probably about 2013, 14. So he was probably just a little bit after. But from the highlights I saw in the championships that he played and sort of watched him closely, I said I'd never seen anyone earlier that could read the play and take overhead marks like him. And that's that's the um, temptation of playing him forward. He's probably their most dominant aerial player uh, that they have on the list. But for me, he just doesn't look like a natural forward. He was recruited because, you know, he's recruited top maybe five or six um, number picks. So, again, yeah, first early because, point, yeah. because of his junior career as a key defender. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, got to look at a key forward during the... the uh, trade time and see if you can move Norton back in defence. Because again, Ryan Gardner, Zane Cordy, there's not... Alex Keith loved his season. Zane Cordy's been solid, but you wouldn't say there's all Australian defenders keeping him out of, of moving Norton back. Um, but again, they're just trying to find that extra piece up forward. I think mm. that's Bevo's biggest off-season question to answer. Like, Because he looks like he's had a couple of games as a forward where he looks like he could be an elite forward, but then he's mixed that a lot with some games where he disappears. Whereas there's the promise of maybe fixing that big issue up forward with him, but there's also you're risking. He, he could. He looks like he could easily be an elite key defender. And with the game, you know, with so many scores launched from your back half now, Keith is a stopper, but you need someone to take in to set marks and kick the ball really well, which he can. So I think Bevo needs to. He, he either doubles down and and puts him in there for the long term as a forward and hope that he becomes elite or put him in as a key defender. And, and I think he's pretty much a given to become an elite Darcy Moore-style, you know, intercept key defender. So, big, you know, food for thought. Yeah, I'm a, a big believer in playing people in their, in their natural, better position. And yeah. I agree. I mean, if, if he was to go back and they were to bring in one of these other guys I'm talking about, what do, do we think that they can actually mount a serious challenge next year? Yeah, well, I had faith in them to, to go to yeah to, to be right in the mix this season because I thought they had the pieces in in place and and the midfield's really good. I mean, they've got a couple of questions in that that ruck spot as well. Tim English probably uh, was found out a bit against the Saints, but he was also asked to do it alone, and he's still a young mm. ruckman. So um, there might be some questions there that also need answering. But I thought the dogs would go pretty well this season, and I mean, you know, depending on who you ask, it's a it's a pass or a fail. But I reckon they can do better if they have a good off season. Uh, let's move on. Yeah, I was going to say the Eagles. <laughs> They're probably even more disappointing. Um, given, well, they given are the heights. disappointing. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you look at some of the names that they've got on that list, and we talk about talented lists, and, and they were almost, they were the, by far the, the sh- most short, the short-priced favourites, the shortest-priced favourites, um, heading into the weekend against the Pies. Uh, and, and they were just completely upstaged. I know it was only a one-point uh, margin, but they, they should have or were expected to win that somewhat comfortably, Jake. Yeah, and most people expected them to win by 20, 30, 40 points. It was going to be an easy win and they were going to move into the um, into the semifinals. But no, they didn't. And all of a sudden, you think, if you told people at the start of the year, West Coast wouldn't win a final this year and they wouldn't wouldn't make top four, wouldn't win a final. It'd be a big shock, especially after the moving Tim Kelly across, getting players mm-hmm. back. I know they had some injuries late in the year, but look, you know, you look at the team that played on the weekend, they brought the players injuries back. As well. 
Well, uh, the Pies have had injuries all throughout the, the back end of the season too. Well, the Pies have had injuries the last four or five years. But yeah, <laughs> they they had the players to do it, but they didn't get it get it done. And it just looked like they were going through the motions. Um, and I tell you what, without Josh Kennedy and, and Jack Darling, that match could have got really ugly. Mm. Uh, Neil, we talked about Tim Kelly off the top and Jake just mentioned him there. Has his first year at the Eagles been a disappointment? I mean, where do you, where, where do you, what sort of leeway do you give a guy who's coming across in his first year at a new club? Yeah, I... I'd say it's been a disappointment. There's no doubt that he's not the player or hasn't shown the, the same sort of um, impact on games that, that he did at, at Geelong. I, I'm going to give him a lot of leeway. A lot of people struggle in that first year um, that they move across. And, you know, every single player has gone through the ups and downs of hub life and, mm-hmm. and the interruptions and whatnot. But he, it's a hard year to judge someone making that first step. But, geez, for what they gave up, for him, he's going to want to repay them next year and, and beyond. He's still, I think, 26, so he, he's still got a lot of footy left in him. Um, but he really, considering how much they gave up for him, um, and the fact that they're, you know, they're a very mature list and they should be contending, he'd, he'd want to have a, a massive couple of years after this. Because yeah, this year he wasn't great. How do they get back on track, guys? Um, Christian, you, you got some thoughts? Yeah, no, I was just going to say quickly on Tim Kelly. Um, his role would have been really hard with Luke Shuey and Elliot Yo going in and out of the side because he would have been recruited to sort of complement those two. Um, they're three very different midfielders. Um, Shuey and Tim Kelly are more closely alike than Elliot Yo. But again, his, his role would have, he, he's the only one that played every game of those midfielders. So his role might have changed slightly each week in terms of whether he was the first possession player or the, you know, the, the player that was trying to handball to at the stoppage or um, at the back or the front of the stoppage. So I think he had it, yeah, still had a pretty good season, but it would have been hard for him in the change of role. But um, in terms of game style, I mean, we've banged on about it. They, they have a, a way of playing that, you know, suit, suits them and got them a premiership. So you can't knock it too much. But it's it's that um, general play, ground ball sort of stuff, contested possessions that we're banged on about. They're 17th and 18th in that. So it's not like they even even out on that and dominate the rest of the game. They're just, they're, they're one of the worst teams. They're consistently down there with Gold Coast who were, you know, bottom of the ladders previous years and down there with Adelaide this year. So... Um, always sort of down with the wooden spooners in the contested ball stat. But another sort of problem this year, a problem strength, if you like, that almost 20% of their scores came from centre bounce clearances this year. So, again, great to be dominant at that part of the game. It's something we mentioned on the podcast before um, and, you know, sort of spoken about a lot when you're looking at football tactics is, and numbers is, is the game style you're trying to play sustainable and Trying to just score out of centre bounces, one fifth year scoring shots coming from centre bounces. Um, it's it, you know it's exciting to have, but you need to have that other part of your game. And they, they don't have um, yeah the, the strongest numbers in contested ball numbers since I think five or six years now. So it's a it's something they um, clearly have a game plan designed for, but it's probably let them down. Um, some of the bigger games. Well, given some of the lower scores we've seen this year, there might only be 10 centre bounces a game. And so they might only get, you know, two or three chances to score from them if that's their biggest strength. Yeah, and, and I called it sort of early on the um, on the weekend too, doing that game. I sort of said earlier, I think, again, it was three of their first six or four of their first seven or something had come from centre bounces, their goal. So I said, it's, it's sort of too many. They're sort of, you can't rely on either you kicking a goal, Collingwood kicking a goal, or the quarter to start to do most of your scoring. So it was, I still thought they were going to win, but I, I just remember sort of making that observation in halftime or third quarter that it was a one of those numbers that you're always a little bit concerned about if too much of, you know, too high a volume of your scores is coming from that one source. Similar to um, kick-ins, when you sort of see a team that's kicked a lot of their scores from kick-ins, you sort of think, well, that's a, you know, it's exciting to see as a fan, but it's not something that's going to win you too many games. Mm, One thing we can't forget, though, when discussing the, the Eagles and the fact that they lost, it was a magnificent win from Collingwood. It was probably one of the better finals wins that I can remember in the last handful of years. The fact that you know they had to fly across the other side of the country, they had to they had to hub a little bit. They had they're still two or three players short of their best twenty-two. They're playing you know a, a team on their home deck who's who's you know a premiership fancy. So I was I was super impressed with Collingwood and. You know, sometimes you just run into a team, um, you know, it's a coin flip at the end of it with a one-point result. So um, you'd like to think that the Eagles will have some sort of positivity going into next year. But, yeah, they've got a little bit to work on. A little bit to work on. Sticking with that game, uh, but looking at the other side, Neil, as you said, the Pies, they were magnificent, really, for for all the sort of doubts that people had about them heading into that match. Uh, to come away with a one-point win and, and move on to the next week is, is was super impressive. 
Um, but something that caught a lot of people's eye was the fact that Brody Grundy, uh, kind of reminiscent of his season, really, was a bit down again. And we, we saw him on the bench at really one of the crucial points of the, of the win over, over the Eagles, um, where he was, he was on the bench and, and Darcy Cameron was in, in the ruck against Nick Nat. Something you probably wouldn't have thought would happen if you're you know, heading into the season this year, given um, the lofty standards that Grundy sets for himself and the matchup with, with Nick Nat being such a mouth-watering one. Um, Christian, what do the stats say in terms of Grundy's year? And is there a reason why we think we, he could have been on the bench at that time? Yeah, so just quickly touching on his season as a whole. Um, again, obviously, most people's raw averages and numbers have gone down because of the shorter games and uh, shorter quarters and such. But so I just looked at his rankings as a ruckman. So, um, you know, in terms of hitouts, he was third from, again, looked at 2017 to 19 when he was the dominant ruckman three years. He was third in that time for hitouts. He was second this year, win percentage sixth and sixth in those two times. So his ruck work hasn't dropped off too much. Hitout to advantage has stayed similar ranking. Uh, but it's his around-the-ground stuff. So, again, for disposals, he was the third most of any ruckman after being number one previously. He um, was first for uncontested possessions in those three years, down to fifth. And his clearances, he dropped from first to seventh. So, it wasn't having the same influence um, at ground level across the season. But um, sort of looking at his centre bounce work and, again, looking into sort of why maybe um, Buckley, again, he defended the decision to have Grundy on the, um, on the bench at that time. But... So rounds 1 to 12, when he was in the centre bounce as the Ruckman, there were 106 clearance for, 81 against. So had a plus 25 differential. He was one of the better players at Collingwood and they were all in the positive alongside with him, which, you know, happens when you've got the dominant Ruckman. Uh, for round 13, rounds 13 to, you know, this weekend, he was, he's been 33-4, uh, so clearance is 4, 57 against for the opposition. So he's gone to negative 24, in wow. that time, which is... One of the worst is sort of the main centre bounce players in the competition. Interesting. Um, and one of the numbers that sort of stood out to me as well. So um, from rounds one to twelve, only twelve percent of his hitouts were sharked by the opposition. Um, so his hitout to advantage numbers hasn't haven't changed too much um, in the two times. I think they stayed about thirty um, odd percent. So if he gets his hands to a thirty odd, go to a teammate at centre bounces. But yeah, only twelve percent were getting sharked um, rounds one to twelve. Thirteen to nineteen, twenty-four percent have been sharked, um, which is again the third worst, I think, of any double sort of centre bounce ruckman. Exactly, it's been doubled. So maybe Buckley is, you know, can only assume that maybe he's seen some of these numbers and thought, geez, the opposition has sort of figured out our centre bounce yeah. and they've thrown in something different. You you got to do that late in finals. We talk about, um, you know, doing something different and you know throwing caution in the wind with. You know, especially, you know, elimination finals. But again, when I look at those numbers, I thought maybe they've got it right. Maybe there is something, whether it's fitness for Grundy or whether it's just opposition teams have, you know, figured out Collingwood's setup and they'll, they'll revisit in the off-season. Um, but yeah, clearly seen a, a bit of a drop-off. Well, we did a great little piece, a series of pieces uh, with some assistant coaches when the, the lockdown was on. Uh, and one of the main themes that we got from, from those guys um, was basically you want to be predictable to your own team but unpredictable to the other team. And maybe the coaches at the Pies found out that, well, you know, these hitouts being sharked have, have doubled uh, in the back half of the season. You put Darcy Cameron in there. who They're not really going to know what, what's, what's coming, whereas your teammates, hopefully, who have, um, have played with him a little bit and obviously had training sessions and, and um, game plan sort of tactical meetings would know. So perhaps you're right in, in that it was a, a, a ploy to be unpredictable to the other team. Possibly. Um, I mean, the, the proof was in the pudding, you know, Cameron performed really well um, and the Pies won. So Buckley would have been laughing all the way to the bank with, with that decision to actually change things up. But Grundy just hasn't looked right all year. I mean, he's, he's been, you know, I'm not saying he should have been dropped or, or anything like that, but he just hasn't looked like the, the dominant one or two or three Ruckman in the league this year. The other, other guys have come past him and hopefully it's, you know, just one poor year. You, if, you know, athletes have four years that that mm. happens, but yeah, you, you want to see him back to his best as soon as possible because when he when he is fully fit and, and going at it, he he's like a two hundred and ten centimeter you know ruck rover. When the ball hits the deck, he can clear the ball himself and tackle and and link up. So hopefully for the pies, he he gets he gets back to his best as soon as possible. Yeah, well, maybe uh, even this week in the semi-final. Speaking of which, uh, <laughs> two pretty interesting finals coming up because remember last week we talked about how um, all of the higher-ranked teams had lost to the lower-ranked opponents uh, during the regular season going into this week. Well, it's the same again going into the semi-finals this week. The Saints defeated the, the Tigers by 26 points easy, early, earlier this year. 
And the Pies defeated the Cats by 22 points earlier this year. Uh, that was at Optus Stadium. So, again, we're, we're in this situation where the team, which you assume would be favoured because they were the higher-ranked team, uh, are battling, uh, I guess, recent form. <laughs> the Tigers and the Saints, Neil, uh, an interesting matchup, but the Saints are going to be battling some personnel issues, it seems, because Jake Carlisle's flown home to be uh, with his partner for the birth of their child. Ben Long has been suspended, and we might talk about that in a second. And, and Paddy Ryder obviously had that heartbreaking hamstring injury. Uh, can you see the Saints winning here, first of all? <laughs> I mean, all signs point to the Tigers, don't they? Despite yeah. the fact the Saints won um, last year. They'll get Tom Lynch back, which is huge. I mean, I think mm. their, their structure broke down a little bit without that, that second tall marking target up there. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised by the Saints. I thought the only game that I was confident in tipping last week was the Bulldogs to beat the Saints, <laughs> <laughs> which shows how well I'm going in our, in our tipping competition. But So the Saints really surprised me last week. They might surprise again, but I think Richmond, although they lost last week, I think they're, they're too experienced. They're, too, they're just too good. They've got too many good players. So I'll back, I'll back them into rebound, you know, back them into rebound pretty strongly, I think. There's a bit of pressure on the Tigers, I think. Um, you know, everyone almost, in the last couple of years, they've almost given the, the title of dynasty team to this, to this Richmond outfit, Jake, um, without them having really created a dynasty. I mean, two flags in three years is great, but you kind of need to win another one to make that happen. Um, so they're under a bit of pressure. Can you see the Saints causing an upset at all? Uh, no, I can't. I'm with Neil on this. I think it's going to be pretty one-sided. Um, and as he says, everything points to the, everything points to the Tigers. Uh, I think they thrive under the pressure, particularly in finals. You know, they didn't play. They didn't play badly against uh, the Lions, but mm. I, you know, as we as we spoke about, we, we all picked the Lions last week. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a clear cut. Richmond's going to go out and win mm. this. So um, I think they bounce back, uh, and I think they'll win win pretty well. I mean, if anything, the Tigers were just a little bit ill disciplined. Uh, at, at times, I mean, we saw Shy Bolton, who's had a great year, uh, give away two 50-metre penalties that resulted in goals. And, and goals in finals are golden. Um, so, you know, who, who knows uh, whether they whether they were feeling the pressure against the, the Lions or if they went in a bit overconfident or... Yeah, and again, back. don't take anything away from... We can't take anything away from Brisbane. I mean, we're talking about a side that's managed to... Managed to um, you know, probably could have won the last three times they've played... Richmond, they have won this one. Um, they're scoring against Richmond, which not many teams are able to do consistently. And again, they started accurately and they just went on with it. So they probably should have won by a bit more in the end. Richmond's probably a little bit lucky that it was only 15, 16 points at the end. Of you know, what, what else is pointing towards a Richmond victory is the, the, the conspiracy theory of the uh, MRP making sure that Long... Uh, gets the week and the Tigers are straight through to the prelims. So, Hold on, you're not you wearing think... a tinfoil hat, eh? <laughs> well, if, if Twitter and social media is to be, to be believed, the fact that Long got a week uh, and the Saints are taking the challenge up, uh, that tribunal result, they're actually challenging that. So by the time you're listening to this, there might be a result um, either way and he might, might get off. But yeah, if you listen to the conspiracy theorists on social media, it's all a conspiracy to help Richmond get through. Come on. <laughs> Conspiracies. <laughs> the amount of Richmond nappies that think that there's. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Jacob, do you subscribe to any conspiracy theories <laughs> in the AFL? Well, well, not so much that as being a conspiracy theory, but I, like that uh, one, I think it's become pretty common. I think it's become pretty common knowledge the fact that, you know, Ben Long gets a week, but, you know, if that was Dustin Martin, he's not getting a week for, for that. So. I think people have become almost accepting of that. We don't like it, obviously, but it happens. And I think if you if you say to yourself that it doesn't happen, you, you're kidding yourself. You know, the big name players rarely get punished, rarely get punished in the home and away season, let alone in a big final. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit frustrating. It's a little bit inconsistent, and I, I'm not a big fan. A of it. I'd like the AFL to, I'd like the AFL to be a little bit more. Uh, just come down on it. It shouldn't matter who it is, you know, but they don't want to rule out the big players. Neil, in a shortened season, we saw one of the D's players cop his fair whack uh, for a bit of a hit that, that probably shouldn't have been whacked as hard as it was. Well, I mean, Alex Neil Bullen cop four weeks for a sling tackle and he deserved to be suspended, but it was a one or two week suspension and they got four, he got four weeks for it, which is, you know, a quarter of the season in, in this year. 
And what did Sean Burgoyne get, who's done it a couple of times this season earlier in the year? Yeah, not much. This is a really interesting one because I actually thought that I thought that Ben Long actually, if you look at it in isolation, I thought he deserved a week because the act itself was, had, as Mike Christian said, the act had, a, um, had the potential to cause serious injury and he could have tackled instead of bumped. Yeah. So in isolation, I actually thought he deserved a week. But then if the inconsistency that Jake's already talked about, yeah. there's so many incidents during the year that they let them off because there was no serious injury. They look at the outcome. We, we've talked at times, I think on this podcast or in some of our columns, that you, maybe we should be punishing the act instead of the outcome because yeah. players like Bergen. But now, but now that it's happened, it's, it's only just happened now in finals. You're yeah. right. The inconsistency between home and away and, and finals is, uh, is a bit confusing. And once again, nobody knows. Once yeah, again, yeah. nobody knows. The, the fans tri- don't the know. You know. We don't know. Players don't know. And it's just, you know, and, and I fear that it's going to happen again where we're going to get to a prelim final and there's going to be someone's going to do something and there's going to be a big uh, big debate around whether they should or shouldn't play and it's just mm. going to be a mess. And the AFL, the AFL could have just continued adjudicating it the way they have and at the end of the year said, right, from now on, we're going to change the way we're actually dishing out penalties but for a hundred percent the penalty should be the action not the outcome because you can't give something four weeks if a player is concussed and one or nothing if they just get up and play on because it doesn't matter some players are going to just it just depends how it hits the ground some players are more prone to becoming concussed it shouldn't make any difference yeah christian final word on uh tigers and saints sorry we've uh we've been debating (laughs) spiritedly here (laughs) Um, no, I'm very heavily selecting the Tigers, but um, just for Saints fans that are listening, it reminds me a lot like 2016 semi-final week Bulldogs Hawthorne. Yes. So very, okay. very similar commentary, very similar ascensions of the team, although not quite three in a row for Richmond. But no, I, I, I just, I'll just throw that out there to be cheeky, but I'm still <laughs> tipping Richmond. I like it. Uh, speaking of recent history, Cats and Collingwood, they've had some good finals over the, over the journey. Uh, and speaking of recent history, straight sets are on the cards for the Cats, uh, which isn't new to them, Jake. Can we see Collingwood uh, beating Geelong? Uh, yeah, I can see it happening. Um, I'm not going to pick it. I think the Cats will bounce back. Like the Tigers, I think they'll both bounce back this week. Mm-hmm. Um, we said it on the top. You know, Tom Hawkins kicks straight the Cats win and we're not talking about them playing the Pies. So um, I think Geelong's been the better team over the course of the season. I'm not a big believer in streaks and that sort of stuff in finals and and that's finals form and that I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Oh, we've lost you there. Or I've lost you. <laughs> Jake's um, frozen midstream. <laughs> He apologised for his technical issues and he's, uh, he's having them again. Um, midstream, that doesn't sound too good, Neil. Uh, Geelong and Collingwood. <laughs> well, we are weeks streaming, ago. aren't we? Yes, we are. Uh, a couple of Go weeks on. ago, um, Christian, we, we sort of talked about the teams that were playing premiership footy by the metrics and by the stats. And the team that you came up with, and I think they were about seventh or eighth at the time, was Collingwood. And we kind of said, can that be true? Are they playing premiership footy? Um, and I don't know. Has anything changed uh, in the last few weeks to show that the Pies can't upset Geelong on the weekend? Um, I mean, I mean, if you look at, again, talk about past history uh, and, you know, the two teams, and again, it's so hard to tip these two games. They've had some awesome contests um, in the last five or six years. They match up really, really well against each other. But yeah, in terms of the premiership uh, standard, as we said, there's a whole lot of metrics that you sort of, all the premiers have at least ranked top six in. Um, and again, a lot of that pointed to defence. So, um, 100% of the you know last 10 premiers are ranked top six in points against and opposition score once they get the ball inside 50 and Collingwood were two and one for that. Uh, fifth for points against from turnovers and second for points against from stoppages. Again, um, very popular to sort of be successful for that and win a premiership. But again, they sort of dropped off a fair way in the offensive side of it. So uh, 12 for points for... Um, 14 for points from stoppages, 15th when they scored for per inside 50. So... Yeah, they scored, you know, really, really well against West Coast for that one week. But if there is any, you know, weakness that you'll sort of look at for Collingwood this year in terms of this premiership standard report, it's um, on the offensive side of things. But, yeah, interesting to see because you almost throw stats and game plans out the window when it comes to Geelong and Collingwood because I think they're two very um, very similar coaches in terms of they know um, what their plan A's are, but they've got very um, sneaky plan B's and 
we've seen some very interesting um, yeah, moves made previously and be interesting to see, yeah, to go in Dangerfield, how how much those two are isolated in the in the defensive fifty and when they are sorry in their forwards fifty and who they get as their defenders from each of those teams and but yeah various matchups across the game will be interesting. It is always a hot question uh, in our offices, Jake. I know that you're a, a a big fan of Dangerfield playing in the middle and not forward when he's needed in the middle. Uh, can you see him playing a lot of time in the forward line this week, or you know do you see a potential matchup that that you like if he if he pushes Welcome forward? Welcome back, Jake. Is he back? <laughs> it looks like he's back. Back. I, uh, there he is. <laughs> I was just talking to myself and it, my, my <laughs> Zoom just disappeared. So, uh, technical difficulties again. Here we go. Yeah. Um, I hope for the cat's sake he plays in the midfield. Um, we were just talking about uh, Aaron Norton before how his best position is probably in the defence. And I, you know, Dangerfield's best position is in the midfield. I've said it a thousand times on this podcast. And the. I, I just find it bizarre when he stands at full forward and the ball's nowhere near him. He kicked one goal against the the um, Pal. the Port. Port, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think how they played. It was, it's a week ago now, <laughs> um, and that was he picked the ball up in the in the centre circle and bounced it all the way in. So yeah, I I, I think he's got to play in the midfield. He's he's one of the strongest players in the league. He's such a such a beast of a midfielder. He can win clearances when he needs to. And, you know, I, I think particularly against a midfield like Collingwood, when, you know, Taylor Adams and Adam Trelaw, Scott Pendlebury, they've got a lot of options through there. Um, I think he's got to play the majority in the midfield because um, some of his midfield, his fellow midfielders were a little bit down last week. Well, speaking of being down, Neil, uh, Tomahawk, we said 0-5 last week. Uh, Gary Rowan, 0-0 last week. Meyer, 0-0. Uh, there's a bit of improvement to come for the Cats. There is. I mean, this is such a hard game to, to pick. I can see the, the pies rolling um, Geelong and then wouldn't that open a can of worms for, Oof. you know, their supporters and the fact that they're, you know... I mean, it's wonderful for their supporters that they're continually in the finals, but if they keep on bombing out um, early, but... Um, there is there is improvement to come for Geelong, but I think Collingwood can, can also improve... Um, yeah, if I if I'm going to the Footy Tips app, I'm going to be selecting uh, Collingwood to get the job done. I think they're just starting to roll a bit better, and I think their midfield and their defence has been really strong all year. And it looks like they might have clicked a little bit up forward. Dugowie is just so important for them. He he's he, he could be the difference. Well, you're you're elite man. Mason Cox kicked three in the first quarter. Can you see him uh, having a somewhat similar influence against well, the Cats? He, he I mean, is, the... he is Mister October. Yeah, he certainly is. Um, so you never know. I mean, anyone, can anyone else, uh, Jake, who are you picking and, and by how much? You didn't get my prediction before. And I cut out by that oh, point. Maybe <laughs> that was it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'll be taking the Pies again this week. Uh, they were great last week, but I don't agree with what Neil said. I don't think the Pies can go can get much better. I think they played really, really well last week. I don't see them scoring 76 points again, particularly against the Cats' defence. I think they're going to score 50 to 60 points, and I think the Cats are going to win. There's, too, there's, far, too, there's far more improvement coming from Geelong than Collingwood this week. I think I agree. I had the Cats as, as the flag winner and um, Danger is my Norm Smith. So I'm going to stick with that and I think they win this week. Christian, your thoughts? Yeah, as I said, toss to the coin and being Tuesday, but I'll, I'll put Geelong just at the moment. Excellent. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, our favourite segment, Justified Hype or Hyperbole. Uh, I'll say a statement. You guys need to tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, to you. Chris Scott is a sore loser. And I say that after he was... Uh, well, he was asked some questions by members of the media following their loss uh, and called their assessment of their loss and their recent finals record, he called it a lazy assessment to the media. And I just, I just wonder why he just needs to do that to the media. And so is he a, is he a sore loser? Uh, yeah, he is. He's a sore loser. And to be honest, he's often a sore winner as well. He can be a little bit prickly, Chris Scott, in those presses. Standoffish. He's... Yeah, he's, uh, you know, I've seen him multiple times in presses bark back at someone and then once the camera's turned off, he comes over and sort of, you know, not apologise, but just sort of says, you know, I don't like that. And he is, he is very prickly. Look, I, I caught Alistair Clarkson a sore loser five, six weeks ago on this podcast and he is, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to be a sore loser. I think it depends what you're complaining about. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Scott does 
often knock some of the calls that go against his side. But you know, you won't see an umpire, you won't see a coach ever sitting in a press in a press conference after winning a game and saying, "Gee, that free kick they gave us. If we didn't get that free kick, we wouldn't have won the game." So, yeah, I, I, he is, but he's not the only one, and I don't necessarily think it's a terrible thing. Yeah, that's a fair call. I mean, I've lost track of the, the number of times that, that someone's tried to challenge him on, on his side uh, and he's responded just with, oh, no, I don't accept that. I don't agree with that. Uh, oh, no, 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 that's lazy reporting or, or something like that. And I think that part of being a coach is... He's very up, defensive. Very, very defensive. Um, and, and whether that comes after a loss, which it, it tends to do because that's when you get the hard questions, uh, or after a better performance, I think that he could be a better media performer. Uh, and that's just coming from someone in the media. Neil? Players who say they don't read the papers are liars. Uh, I think that, that, is, that is justified hype. But only for some... I think there probably is a few that don't get involved with the media. Well, um, the, the Pies certainly did on the weekend because whatever Nathan Buckley, Scott Penderbury, all these others might say, uh, they certainly read the headlines in the West Australian before their matchup uh, being labelled Dirty Pies by the paper over there. Yeah, that's right. So, I, I mean, you wouldn't even be surprised if... Um, you know, maybe Buckley used it as motivation and brought it to the attention of the group. But mm. you know, there's no blank. There's no way that every player doesn't read you know, doesn't read online stories or doesn't get the paper out and have a flick through. So um, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I think um, if you can use it a little bit as a as a motivational tool and get that extra one percent, so be it. Absolutely, uh, Christian. I'll throw this last one to you. West Coast's year was the most disappointing of any team in 2020. Is that hype justified? No, I don't think so. Again, um, yeah, they made its finals. Hadn't you know spent six, seven weeks at a hub. But no, nah, to me, it's still probably last year's runners-up. GWS not even making the finals. Um, if we're trying to label the most disappointing team, so no, nah, I don't think West Coast is in that basket. Could probably throw the Bombers in there as well. Uh, perennial underachievers, uh, as well as the Eagles. As as we said before, didn't win a final despite. Uh, Having one of the stronger lists, so perhaps you're right. Uh, Footy Tips app, uh, if you're still playing, if you've still got finals on, make sure you get your tips in before Friday night. Uh, and if you're playing the finals bracket, make sure you keep up to date with that and see how you're going. You might be on track to win that as well. Guys, thanks for joining me as always. We will speak to you next week ahead of the prelims. Uh, we're getting there. Season 2020 is almost over and it's been good speaking with you. And we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.